Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 fucking games this year. You're watching Fizz. Okay? Not 10. What's up, Fizz fans? Most brutal thing I've seen in 30 years. Welcome back to another episode of The Fizz. And especially when it comes from our people. OrangeFizz.net Tim Leonard, today is Monday, March 19th in the year 2018. It's about 3.30 right now on this lovely Monday. And 19 and 20-year-olds still don't know how to play against a 2-3 zone. It's unbelievable. We had to get that off. Out of the top, we had to address that because it had to be said. I mean... Jim Beheim is just bulldozing through this competition with no talent, and his 2-3 zone is just making the superiors of the college basketball ranks just look befuddled and confused, and I just don't understand why more teams aren't playing zone, but good for Beheim. Good for <laughs> Beheim. You're listening to the FizzCast, Tyler Aki alongside Tim Leonard, and one team that is playing zone, and playing it pretty well, actually, yeah. as of late, is Duke. That is Syracuse's next opponent. But that's because the Orange did the unthinkable. They go in Detroit, the Michigan State backyard, pull off a huge upset over the third-seeded Spartans. And really, I think both you and I are at a loss for words. Nobody on the staff picked this game right. I just, when you look at the whole box score of this game, it it makes no sense. sense. It makes (laughs) zero sense. And we'll get into that as well as some other thoughts from the weekend in just a little bit. But first, be sure to follow us on Twitter, at OrangeFizz. You, you can also find Tim and I on Twitter. What are you, at Tim underscore Leonard 4? Yep. And at Tyler Aki underscore. You, well, you can also find us on SoundCloud, Orange Fizz, and then on Facebook, as well as iTunes, Orange Fizz. You'll get all our latest content there as well. Before we even get into Michigan State Talk, I got to ask you, how was Detroit? First time going? So Detroit, this was my first time like actually being in Detroit. It wasn't my first time in the state of Michigan. It was my first time in Detroit, though, and kind of getting the pulse of the city. Detroit's a, I liked it. Yeah. Kind I've of heard a, mixed reviews, it, it's, so. It's kind of strange, like, the area around the stadium, they're trying to really build up and like make it this super nice downtown area. But it looks pretty nice though, like it, photos I've seen from the outside. It, it's kind of ratty too. At the same time, like there's this one house that someone told me, basically the Red Wings and Pistons. I think when they were building Little Caesars Arena, they were buying all this real estate from the locals in the area to basically knock these houses down. Right. You build parking lots. And basically everyone sold their property except for one person. And this house is the biggest dump I've oh, ever no. seen. It's just, and now it's finally up for sale, but it's just sitting there. Yeah, you know that <laughs> irks them so much. Yeah. But here are my takeaways from, from Little Caesars Arena. First of all, it's just it looks like a giant Little Caesars. <laughs> yeah, I saw you tweeted that. <laughs> and when you go inside, it just smells like a giant Little Caesars. Is it's, it? It it is it just smells exactly. like pizza. It is so on brand. That's I, I, kinda I like cannot that. stress that enough. Um, but no, Little Caesars Arena. Actually, I mean, I know it's extremely new. I think it's like the first or second year they've had it. It's so nice in there. Yeah, it is unbelievably nice. You look at you kind of like I mean, being with the media, you kind of get that whole backstage thing. You can pretty much go wherever you want, but it's steep too. Like when you look up, and if you are sitting in the last row of that stadium. I really wonder how you can see the game. Yeah. Because it's so steep, and they've got these gondolas, like these media <laughs> gondolas. that They're they're used for hockey when the Red Wings play okay. there. Or I think like Michigan State and Michigan Hockey will probably play some games there too, I'd assume. But I don't know how you'd see with those gondolas in the way. And yeah. I, I saw that there's actually screens on the back of them, but I'm not paying to see the game on a TV screen. That's like... At Cameron Indoor, you'll sit somewhere, and there's just it's such an old stadium, kind of the opposite, but there'll just be a huge pole right in your way. Right. And it's like, why am I here? Like, <laughs> I paid so much money for these seats, and, like, you have to, like, duck your head around the pole to see the action of the game. Right. But, I mean, it seems like with these modern stadiums nowadays, they're they're going for that, like, more steep look. I don't know. Yeah. The angles, maybe, and all the, the geometry if, lines up. But. If I had to compare... Little Caesars and Barclays, which I was at for the ACC tournament. I'm giving a slight nod to Barclays. Yeah, I heard the uh, hospitality at Barclays. The hospitality at Barclays was unbelievable. I, yeah. 
I have never been treated more like a king in my life than when I was at the Barclays Center. It, that place is unbelievable. Um, but no, Little Caesars Arena, definitely a close second. But overall, the city of Detroit, I'll give it a 7.5 out of 10. I've always okay. said that Detroit's one of my favorite airports. Yeah, I've heard good things about the Detroit, Detroit airport. airport uh, I'm a fan of, and I usually connect in and out of it when that's I, when I travel That's a big thing, home. too, because that's your first impression, and if you've right. got a bad airport, it just kind of gives you a bad vibe for the rest of the week. I'd say I'd say that's more important than people think. But, like, Detroit airport area and Detroit city area is very different. Like, Detroit airport area is, like, your classic Midwest, like, plains and valleys, it seems like, everything around it. There's no industrial anything and mm-hmm. then you've just got the airport there whereas when you get into the city it's like your typical city and another thing about Detroit that I love and that I think more cities need to adopt is getting these you just get all your stadiums together I get yeah. certain really big cities like a New York a Chicago and LA can't do that just have an tra- epicenter I think that's yeah. cool but it's tough for some of them, especially when you've got multiple teams in town. But like with the Detroit, I feel like it's perfect because you can get kind of everyone like you just get that sports vibe around there. You throw a couple bars, restaurants in that area, some some retail stores right there, and you just got a booming place for business. And I think that's awesome. And it's really cool when especially if you get into like the fall where, OK, maybe you have a Sunday afternoon baseball game and then maybe the Lions are playing a Sunday night game and yeah. you just go right over there after. That I think that would be with, awesome. Uh, with Cleveland where they had like the World Series game and then a final right. game or something and I think that's cool how they're just across the street from each yeah. other. I agree. More should, more cities should do that. Anyways, 55-53. I guess it doesn't really matter how you do it. Not a lot of scoring so far for the Orange no. through this tournament. Still only one game where they get 60 points and they hit 60 on the dot. But they've been holding these high-powered offensive teams with super-skilled players on that side of the ball to under 60 points in every single game. And I guess it doesn't matter how you do it as long as you get it done. And that's what Jim Beheim is showing everyone right now. Just survive in advance. I mean, like you said, these are offenses that are are really good. It's not like a product of, oh, they're just playing against bad offenses. Arizona State, TCU, Michigan State all averaged over 80 points a game. They were right in the top 25, 20 in the country in offensive points per game and all the stats related to offense. And even Michigan State, I mean, they've got two future lottery picks on their team. The talent on that roster, it might be the most talented roster in the country. They were pegged to be a preseason favorite for the national title by many for a reason. They have all this talent. And like you said, it's not pretty. It's rather really ugly. All these games have been pretty similar. They've been really close. They've given SU fans really heart attacks in the process, but somehow Tyus Battle hits a clutch shot with like two minutes left, and they just do just enough to keep this magical run going. Do you get texts from your friends during Syracuse games saying, how do you watch this team? Yes, and <laughs> I, I got to be honest, I don't really have a an explanation for it because the past three games might have been the most— I mean, it's, it hasn't even been this bad all season. In the ACC play, I felt like they were scoring more, but— Especially at this, the end. Yeah, this zone— I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Is this, like, the greatest college basketball defense ever? Is this the greatest <laughs> scheme of it all time? It's, it, it's so weird to think that one scheme that you can draw up literally just absolutely blows the minds of young kids— and they haven't figured it out. It's not like anything's changed in over no. 30 years. Literally, it's, it's the same system. There's so much film out there, and it seems, but I guess it's just, well, A, I think Michigan State, they just got tight. I mean, Beheim said after the game, he thought that the game was in Detroit actually might have hurt them a little bit because there was so much pressure on them to to win. They had really nothing to gain. They were expected to win that game, and once they started to become a real threat that they could lose the game. They just got tight down the stretch. And I think also it forces you, the zone forces you to shoot some awkward shots that typical college kids are not used to shooting. And what I mean is there'll be an 8-footer or a 10-footer that's just kind of in that awkward in-between range. And whether you do a floater or you do a normal shot or what, it's just not what they're used to. It's not traditional man-to-man like basketball where you're, just pulling up and getting shots in rhythm. It's awkward shots, and they're just befuddled by it because they don't play against it that much. And also, SU just has so much length this year at the top of the zone that it's forcing a lot of chaos right there at the top, a lot of turnovers and everything like that. 
When you look at this final box score, nothing makes sense. No. You look top to bottom, Syracuse gets out-rebounded by more than 20. The Orange only hit one three all game, and it, I believe it came pretty late in the game, yeah. too. It was an O'Shea Brissett three. They had three assists. Uh, they're turning did. the ball over. and 29 offensive <laughs> rebounds from Michigan State. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't add how up. How is that possible? How and, did they, and you I, hold I a team to 53 it. points with 29 offensive rebounds. Right. Where does that make sense? So Michigan State shoots at 26%. That's got to be, what, 20% below their average they on missed, the year? They missed Maybe their last more? 13 shots. Right. They didn't score in the final five minutes or something. Yeah. And, you know, we, we haven't even talked about the fact that Frank Howard fouled out with six Frank and a half Howard, minutes left in this game. Both your bigs get into foul trouble pretty early on, not to mention Mark Dolezal getting in some foul trouble in the first half, some ticky-tack calls, but... I'm not, a lot of ticky listen, calls. that's just been the referee play of the entire yeah. tournament because I'm going to say it, things went both sides. Yeah, I think at least it was consistent. The, refer, the refing evened out in the end. Yeah. no, Absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, Frank's last foul was really, it was borderline. You were there and everything. I, I just didn't I'll see s- a ton of contact, but it was... Right. It was obviously something he probably shouldn't have even attempted right. to do that's in the what, situation. That, that's what I'll say about this Frank Howard foul. Was it a foul? Yeah, probably not. But you didn't help yourself out. Like, you weren't going to get that steal, so you decided to get right up in the body of right. a guy in the backcourt. It just didn't make a lot of sense. you got to be smart. Uh, especially than that. when you, you know you have four fouls. And the thing about Frank Howard's fouls in the game was that he was picking them up in spurts. Like, I think both of his fouls came within 30 seconds of yeah. each other. Yeah, no, he had like three in a row right before he fouled out, I feel right. like. He wasn't even in the foul trouble conversation, and all of a sudden bang, he's bang, on the bang, bench. Yeah. yeah, And then Braden Bayer's in the game. Well, which... yeah, let's let's get to Braden Bayer because sure. he might be the MVP of this game, especially in one where there's not a lot of scoring. You're going to ask a guy who's coming from a D3 school who he told me after the game, I literally transferred here because of social reasons. And right. I, the only reason I even got into basketball was because I, I knew Tyler Lydon and he kind of funneled me to the coaches. And then from there, it just here we are at this point. Never thought in my wildest dreams that I'd be playing in a, in a game to go to the Sweet 16 against arguably the most talented roster in the country. And, and blocking Miles Bridges. Well, okay. So <laughs> blocking is generous. Yeah, it was right. yeah, okay. That, yeah. Was a, that was a foul and a half. And he hacked him. Listen. Yeah. I don't know what the referees were thinking, and there was a clear makeup call on the other end when, because uh, the ball goes right off of a Michigan State player. I don't think it was Bridges; it went off of. Yeah, I no, think it was there Tillman. Was someone trailing. Yeah. I remember that. I think it was t- off of Tillman's knees, pretty clearly. And everyone on Twitter is, is groaning that oh, these refs are out to get us. Braden Bear smacked the hell out <laughs> of Miles Bridges. Like th- that was that is your textbook version of a foul. He should be getting two free throws in this situation. and Which would have been way worse. Right, exactly. That's the only way they could score in the yeah. final stretch. And, and it ends up helping Syracuse because it keeps Michigan State off the line, and it just gives the Spartans the ball. I mean, there, you should not be complaining about the referees if you're a Syracuse fan because calls went both ways. There were some pretty crappy calls on Michigan State as well. Yeah. And, and that was one of them. That was Yeah, that was certainly one of them. The crowd was really into it. It was yeah, 90 per, 95% Michigan State, then like 3% Purdue, and then 2% Syracuse. Like they had a small section behind, or I guess across from the Syracuse bench, and that was about it. But Gary Battle was making Gary most Battle of was that making section. some noise, man. Yeah. I'll tell you what, nothing is more exciting or more entertaining during a game than Gary watching Gary Battle and listening to him. I, I'm going to say this. It's like having a sixth man out there on defense because <laughs> he just chirps Miles Bridges the entire game. And I have never seen a parent more animated. And I tweeted this out too. Like, Gary Battle is LeVar Ball. If you take all the things you love about LeVar Ball and get rid of everything you hate about LeVar Ball, and there's your Gary Battle. That's a great tweet. <laughs> that's, and I mean, how could you not like like someone that's got all those features? I. I've seen his tweets in the past and everything. I've obviously so never. So proud of my son, Tyus. Yeah. <laughs> this is what he's been working for, but it's just 
I mean, you can only imagine what he is like because his Twitter personality is already out there, flamboyant, everything you can think of. So I'm sure that was an experience. So to Gary see him Battle in always tweets pictures of him hugging Tyus, like getting off the bus or getting on the bus or like after a game. Who do you who do you think is like his picture taker guy? Like the hug picture taker. Uh, mom? I don't know. I didn't see mom there. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe I just didn't see her. But. Right. I'm sure he's got other parents in the crowd or something that he just, he sets it up and they make that work. <laughs> I don't know. Did you see Khalif battle? His uh, I saw his reaction video. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that was cool. And then he dunks a mini basketball. He's a target for Syracuse. Yeah. And he would certainly help this team in the in that class of 2019. So someone to look out for for the future. The Battle family may not be done at Syracuse quite yet. More Gary Battle, please. More Gary <laughs> Battle, yeah. I could I could use another three to four years of Gary Battle. <laughs> um, last Gary Battle point here before we move on. When Tyus is shooting those two really big free throws at the end, I don't know if you saw this, but his head, like he did not watch them. Really? He There's like a black kind of screen that was right in front of him. And he just ducks his head. He could not watch him. Yeah. He, I've never seen a parent. Like, this was your classic soccer He was parent. probably way more nervous than Tyus was. Oh, yeah. Tyus just Tyus stepped up there as calm as could be. Which, by the way, he is. He might not be shooting at a great percentage in this tournament. And in a lot of ways, I guess O'Shea has been the best player in this tournament for Syracuse. It's really hard to argue that at this point based on how many points he's putting up and how he's playing in the first half of the game. But... Man, is he just... I just knew he was going to make that pull-up jump shot with two minutes left. He started to get into his groove. He backed it up, and it was a clear ISO, and you didn't want anyone else shooting the ball. Maybe in the country. I mean, he's just been that clutch. He's got that closer gene right now, and when he gets rolling like that late in games, he's unstoppable. It seems like even though him and Frank have really struggled in the beginning of these tournament games they've been the ones to close out the games. They kind of have that yeah. veteran-ish presence. TCU was Frank Floater. Frank Floater, Tyus Floater. Yeah, right back-to-back, back, which really sealed that game. And then I know he had one in the Arizona State game that was like a floater or a jump shot around the two-minute mark, and then same thing against Michigan State. seemed like he—I don't know, you were there, but it seemed like he was looking right at Derek Coleman and Dave Bing and that whole crowd yeah. after he made it, too, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool to see. So— Full disclaimer, all right, I was in Detroit for both of these games, and not going to lie, Tim, I only brought one suit. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> so, I only brought one suit. You didn't suit. have faith. I didn't have faith in this team. Somehow they go out, and during this tournament run, they have beaten three teams that at one point in time were ranked inside the top ten in the country. That's wild. After going one for six against ranked teams... During the regular season. Three offensive-minded teams. I know, like, just the Clemson game the other day, they hadn't won a, team, won a game against a ranked team, not the other day, but the last game of the regular season on the big senior day festivities for Syracuse. I guess it was just Braden Bayer and no one else on senior day, basically. But anyway, that was their first real win against a top 25 team. And it's just been a whirlwind since then to think, that that BC game, I think, was, what, 17, 18 days ago now? I mean, everyone was like, ah, good luck in the NIT after that one. It's all over, and rightfully so. They were down in the dumps. They got blown out by BC in a game everyone thought they had to win, and now here they are. It's very similar, a lot of parallels to two years ago. Yeah, it certainly feels almost identical. And the only thing that kind of concerns me right now is that Michigan State kind of feels like that Virginia win. Granted, very different ways of yeah. getting that win, but it kind of feels like there's your big signature win. Now you're due for a letdown. Yeah. Because it, if Syracuse is going to get to the Final Four by some miracle, they're going to have to go through five teams that at one point in time this year were ranked inside the top ten. And I believe, I believe three of those teams were ranked inside the top three at one yeah. point. You got to imagine. I mean, either way, Kansas or Clemson, you'd preferably like to see Clemson after beating them once. But if Kansas wins that game, that's going to be tough. And obviously, what Duke did to Syracuse in Cameron Indoor, granted, but still, they just completely ran them out of the gym. Really, the only time Syracuse has been blown out to this, like at all this season, to my memory. So that in Kansas, tough so both teams that have, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, it's interesting. I feel like 
the Kansas team is just a terrible matchup. I I don't know about you, but I feel like Syracuse is in their defense in the two three zone plays better against teams that have like good post players, like a Michigan State team with Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson. Everyone was talking about that, like oh they're going to manhandle them on the board, which they did obviously. But I feel like it's actually worse to go against good guard play. And that Kansas team with Devontae Graham, Makai Luke, LeGerald Vick, all those guys that can penetrate, and then they can start throwing the lob to Azubuki or whatever. I just think it's better to have good shooters on the perimeter because that's really what ultimately is more vulnerable in the zone, in my mind, instead of the high post or plays down low. I feel like sometimes it gets overlooked and we say, oh, the the guys in the paint are just going to dominate this zone, and that's what we assume with Miles Bridges, but he couldn't get anything going down low because it's tough to get the passing and get inside the zone. They were just working around the perimeter and couldn't find any holes where a Devontae Graham or someone like that can just shoot right over the top of the zone. Yeah, I mean, not to look too far ahead, and and we'll get into Duke later yeah. on in, in this podcast, but when you look kind of where the matchups, I mean, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, the only teams that Syracuse kind of struggles with at times are those ones with the stretch fours. Where they can really yep. open up the zone, a Theo Pinson, yeah, yeah, and guys like that who really open up the zone like that. That's where you run into problems. But or if you find a hot shooting team, because quite frankly, right, I mean Jim Beheim said it after the TCU game that this team was simply lucky that TCU was missing shots, missing yeah. open shots that they usually make. And I mean, good for Jim Beheim. He, he he deserves a break after this year. Yeah, he really does. He he has gone through so much with this team. Torian leaving, then Geno Thorpe leaving, then Howard Washington getting injured. You're, you're forced to play a, a former D3 guy turned walk-on, and you're still afloat, and you're in the Sweet 16, and you're knocking off teams that you really have no business beating. You've been an underdog in all three games so far. Then you go up against Tom Izzo, a guy who you've perennially owned, but still, you don't play you that still, much. Right, yeah. yeah. And now you're 6-1 and all-time against Tom Izzo. And you took down a Michigan State team that a lot of people thought were going to come out of that Midwest region and maybe even have a shot at the national championship. Right. I think going back to how there's parallels between this run and the 2015-16 run, of course, this might be more improbable just to get this well, yeah. team to the Sweet 16 because— there's obviously a difference in talent level on those two teams. They have a lot of similarities, limited bench, struggled to rebound the ball, great defense leading the way, really. But I think this is more improbable because, like you said, these three teams they played all have a ton of talent. That was proven by getting inside the top 10. And let's be honest, the Syracuse team that made it to the Final Four, I mean, Dayton, that was a good win. Then you go to Middle Tennessee. They got kind of lucky. They got they played a lot of breaks along the way. Yeah, they, and they this team has had to just beat teams that are very quality teams, and there's no way to like look around that. It's not like you can point to this and say, oh, they've gotten lucky and they just got an easy road. And I think maybe it was blown out of proportion a little bit, the easy road, because to get to the Final Four regardless is tough, but I honestly would say this is more improbable just to get this team to the Sweet 16 than two years ago. So, yeah, no, I completely agree on that front because, I mean, and everyone in 2016 was talking, is this Jim Beheim's best coaching job? And a lot of people said at the time, yes, yeah. this is, whether that's a recency bias or not, I still think it's worth considering. And you look at this year's team, and this is even more impressive because, like you said, you're not getting those those lucky breaks like you got. You didn't have to face... Uh, you didn't have to face Michigan State two years ago. Right. A, a very good Michigan State team that a lot of people thought could win a championship in that year. You, you get out of that, then you face a Gonzaga team ranked 11th in the country, tra- having to travel all the way across the country to Chicago to play that game. And then you pull off the improbable win against Virginia, which is kind of the crowning moment of that whole yeah. run. But again, you get the breaks. You have gotten zero breaks, and you are going to get zero breaks in this run, whatever it ends up being. And I think that you just tip your hat to the culture that Jim Beheim has created and sustained in a place like Syracuse for more than 40 years now yeah. is unbelievable. You could never see anyone do that anywhere else. I mean, we've seen people try. It's just not successful. No. What he's doing and, and what he's doing with this team 
It might be his most impressive coaching performance to date at this point, and that includes the national championship run and everything. It's just, it's, like you said, so many things were stacked against them. The talent level is so low. You can't really say it enough. And the way this team has won these three games, it's not like in that Final Four run two years ago, they rolled past Dayton, they rolled past Middle Tennessee, they had to get a couple plays down the stretch against Gonzaga, but these three games, they've had to have good coaching down the stretch. They've had to win tight games. They've all been close, and obviously playing in the first four might give you a little bit of momentum, but with a limited bench, that means three games in five days. So that was against their, you know, stacked against them as well, and they've still managed to do that. I I just can't say enough how impressive it's been for Bayheim and, and also credit to the players because this team fights like crazy, man. Yeah. They just never quit, and... I don't know, a weird inkling to me felt like there's just no way this team's going to get blown out by Michigan State. Like, they're going to keep this close, whether it's a late second-half rally or something, and I obviously never really would have imagined they'd actually win the game, and they shocked me on that front, but this team, you just know what you're getting with them. They fought ever since the first game of the season, and they're going to continue to fight the rest of the way. I think that another major difference, and I'm really surprised— I think this is the most surprising thing about this team is that you've got one real veteran leader that's yeah. been out there, whereas in that 2016 team, you had Michael Benajay, a fifth-year guy, Trevor Cooney, another senior. I mean, those were guys who have played in big games, played in big moments. Trevor Cooney had been on a Final Four team. Daywan Coleman had been on a Final Four team. Malachi Richardson's an uber-talented freshman. Yep. Tyler Lydon's great off the bench for you. Tyler Roberson can go out there and get some rebounds for you. He can do all the dirty work while everyone else can kind of play their role, score, defend, and do all that good stuff that you need in order to make a sustained run like that. And Bayheim, yes, he did a great coaching job, but it certainly helps when you've got players who can fill those types of roles for you. Yeah. This year, it doesn't feel like that's the case. Everyone kind of has a distinct role, and if someone's off that role one night, you're not winning the game. And it just kind of seems like everyone's kind of been on that role pretty much. Like, you can say Tyus Battle and Frank Howard haven't delivered, but well, that, they, that they've, been hitting, they've been hitting big shots down oh, the stretch. Yeah. Yeah. And what they do defensively at the top of that zone, when you uh, you hear them say, when you see 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six at the top, it's going to cause some problems for you. I think defensively, that's where they, they've been the most impressive this year. And I think you really have to tip your hat to Bayheim to how he gets these kids ready, even though they know they're the underdog going into every single game. But somehow they still believe in themselves. Yeah. And that's something that, with these kids, you don't see a lot of anymore. Especially, like, look at Michigan State. You saw out there, Miles Bridges knew, knows he's a surefire lottery pick, and Jaron Jackson knows he's a surefire lottery pick. I saw Jaron Jackson walk into the stadium. I've never seen anyone more disinterested in getting ready to play a basketball really? game. Really? Miles Bridges seemed locked in, and I think he's going to be a, a quality pro. Yeah. I don't think I can say the same about Jaron Jackson. Yeah. If I'm an NBA GM, I'm taking Miles Bridges over Jaron Jackson right now because Miles Bridges showed that focus. He just couldn't get some shots to drop. Against Bucknell, he took over at the end of the game. It was super impressive. But what he did against Syracuse, he left it out there, even though it may not show up in the stat sheet, but he, he did everything he could to try to push this Michigan State team over the edge. Yeah, I mean, as a Syracuse fan, you were rooting for him not to touch the ball down the stretch, regardless of how he was playing in that moment. I would agree. I think Bridges is more pro-ready right now. Jackson didn't impress me at all. I mean, he barely saw the floor and barely really even attempted any shots. And it's He only weird. plays eight minutes in that second half, and everyone's kind of like, why, why is he only playing eight minutes? Yeah. Well, you pointed out to me, and I did not know this, he doesn't play a lot. Yeah. He averages less than... 22 minutes per game which I don't understand why he's a consensus top five pick if he can't even really assert his dominance in a college game like even against Bucknell he played 15 minutes or so 18 minutes I know it was kind of like a blowout at times but he had like eight points just looking at the box score like it's the NCAA tournament if you're a top five pick or you're supposed you're pl- to be you're playing 30 35 minutes yeah, at least put your name out there I mean that's your time to like really prove it and he hasn't really done that. And overall, throughout the season, his stats aren't really eye-popping at all. It's kind of a balanced scoring attack for Michigan State, so it's not like he's getting the ball a ton, but I'm confused a little bit that he's a consensus top-five pick right now. 
I think too, and it wasn't just Jackson that didn't play a lot. Nick Ward also, yeah, very Moyer's quiet. Cousin. Yeah, Matthew Moore's cousin pretty much doesn't play in that second half, even though he terrorized Syracuse in the first. He was he was just that big body down low that yeah, I thought was going to no really disrupt Syracuse th- throughout the entire game, and. When he's out there and, and he's making impacts, he's banging bodies down low. He was the one that put Syracuse in foul trouble. He, in the second half, probably could have gotten multiple walk-ons in the game if he really forced the issue, but <laughs> Izzo didn't put him out there. It just didn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, I don't know. I guess he went with more of like a guard-heavy shooting lineup, but, I mean, Syracuse and, and Bayheim they said in the post-game press conference, like, we just wanted to key in on the shooters. McQuaid... Winston, all those guys that are deadly from deep, that was their main focus because they probably felt like, all right, if they get hot, this could get ugly. But if we can minimize their three-point shooting and kind of make this a rock fight of sorts and just play into our game, that's going to benefit us in the long run. So credit to them for that type of game plan because if McQuaid, I mean, he's one of the best shooters in the country and he just didn't get anything going. He couldn't get the ball to start going. So I, I just don't know. It's baffling that they that they even won this game, even talking about it still and hashing this out. It still seems crazy, but it just goes back to Coach Beheim coming in with a good game plan and the 2-3 zone just somehow making Michigan State look completely lost on offense. I think, too, the one thing that we saw TCU do against Syracuse, and it worked effectively, they just couldn't execute because they couldn't knock down a shot to save their life down the yeah. stretch, kind of like Michigan State did, but... They put those guards in the high post, and they went with Alex Robinson making those passes. I don't know why Michigan State didn't do that. Yeah, They've got a lot of very talented guards, Cassius Winston, Tum Tum Nairn. I mean, you could slot those guys right there and let them work this offense. Miles Bridges can knock down from outside. Jaron Jackson and Nick Ward, you can dump down to them, and they can bang bodies down low. Or you can just flip it out to the other guard and you can knock down a shot because this is one of the best passing teams in the country in Michigan State. They couldn't move the ball against Syracuse. No. I mean, I think we might need to start stop harping on the the Tom Izzo. Oh, he's so good in March. He raises his level in March, and he gets the best out of his teams. Because He usually does, though. He usually does, but, I mean, we know they lost two years ago in the first round to Middle Tennessee State. I don't know, like one national title. Why is Beheim getting flack for only having one national title? But Izzo is just known as like the darling of March at this point. I mean, Izzo gets his team to Final Fours, and, yeah. and yes, Beheim does too. I think he's done it in like each of the last four decades, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, Izzo's got seven Final Fours, I think. Beheim's got what five, six. Right. I'd yeah. say they're working with the same amount of talent too, because Michigan State. This is probably their most talented team that yeah. I can remember, and. In terms of like NBA potential and all that stuff, and especially like early NBA potential with a guy like Jackson, guy like Bridges, I just that's a good point you bring up. Yeah, and I don't know. I just think it's getting overblown. At I this think point. too. I mean, look at it. Izzo's a media darling. Yeah, and, and Bayheim's not. Exactly. Everyone loves Izzo, and he seems like a nice guy. That's not a knock on him, but maybe and Bayheim. maybe with the whole dark cloud hanging over Michigan State now. That's when we'll see Izzo start to maybe catch more flack for all of that. and Because I was talking with, with some of the Michigan State people, and they're telling me stuff like, yeah, it, it, Izzo will have these hour-long conversations with reporters and just a, it, as a group. And like even after his press conference, he met in the hallway with pretty much everyone. And wow, yeah. I mean, this guy loves to talk. Beheim doesn't. No. And Although, did you Beheim, see what he said in the press yeah, conference? Yeah, and everyone, all the local media just rolled their eyes <laughs> when he said that. Because that's they funny. all know that's that just was far from the truth. And um, it, it's the national Beheim that everyone's yeah. getting right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get used to it. I thought it was funny that he had an interview with Andy Katz after the uh, the whole scuffle they had a couple years ago. Where that's he was right. calling him out. And, well, it's kind of crazy. So, I actually sat... Next to Andy Katz for the game. He mm-hmm. flew in from Boise, showed up for the second half, did his Andy Katz NCAA thing, his <laughs> Skype, uh, FaceTime interviews with people, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, he, they seem to be on good terms now. Yeah, I don't. I think it was the UConn game earlier in the year where pretty much Beheim said, like, your old employer did you wrong. They, sh- <laughs> they never should have fired you in the first place. And 
all these national media powerhouses are starting to get on the Bayheim bandwagon all over again after he misses the tournament last year. Everyone's back on. Everyone's back into the Syracuse train. They're getting the A crew. I mean, look at this Midwest region. And that's why Jim Nance, uh, Bill Raffery, uh, Grant Hill, Tracy Wolfson, they're all going to Omaha to go see Bayheim, Coach K, yeah. Bill Self, and then Brad Brunell. <laughs> I mean, one of these things is not yeah. like the other in this case, but this is exactly what college basketball needs. This is a powerhouse kind of Midwest region, and Bayheim's kind of the guy, the old curmudgeon type who's been there forever. He's gone through the trials and tribulations. He's handed off his zone to Kay. And <laughs> Kay sold his soul. Kay's selling his soul. He's getting one and dones. He's abandoning the brotherhood. <laughs> And I think this kind of just shows that Syracuse basketball is back and people are all back in on this train. And it's kind of funny reading some of the the comments we get on Twitter, too, where I am seeing the same accounts bash the hell out of this team. <laughs> uh, they're the same ones that are they're coming up on us and saying, you never believed in this team and all that stuff. I think there's one consistent account I've seen that's been positive this entire year. But everyone else is just completely flipped the switch. Everyone after Bayheim made that one to two percent comment, everyone's like, "Oh, I was in the one to two percent." Yeah. No, you weren't. Oh my! Gosh. I saw you bashing them a week ago. <laughs> yeah, everyone was like, "Nit, here we come." And and by the way, to come at, I mean, like, it's not like there's we're a not reason. the committee. <laughs> yeah, there's a we re- didn't <laughs> we didn't score a single point. We didn't let up a single basket for Syracuse. Don't come <laughs> at us. All right, we didn't do anything wrong. We're just telling you what we see. And and there's a reason why we we didn't think this team had much. I mean, go look at the tape in the regular season. They couldn't even just think of that Notre Dame game at home. Like this offense was historically bad. There were so many things stacked against them and and I don't have any remorse for taking Michigan State to win that game. Like I think everyone, I think 95% of Syracuse fans would have admitted, "All right, this is where the run ends probably." It just didn't make sense that they keep it going and now they've got Duke and at this point, I don't even know what to think because on one hand, it's like, oh, well, maybe they'll keep it going. But also, I still have that same logic I did with Michigan State where Duke's just got so much more talent than them, and it feels like it's just time for this to all end. One last thing I want to hit on before we get to Duke. We're going to call this segment the Mal Candidate. I in like honor, it. In honor of Malachi Richardson, who was seemingly coming back to Syracuse for his sophomore season. He goes and makes the big tourney run. So our Mal candidate is O'Shea Brissett and Tim Leonard. This isn't breaking news, but I really do think O'Shea Brissett's leaving. Yes. And he Sorry, didn't, Syracuse fans. Yeah. So talking with him after the game, somebody asked him, oh, like, how does it feel like knowing that you're stacking up this well against guys who are, are bona fide lottery picks, you know there's scouts in the stands, and he's basically like, yeah, I know I can kind of hang with these guys. Yeah. And I think it's, if it's not in the back of its mind, it's it's creeping towards the forefront right now. Yeah. And yes, he still has to put together another good game, but you're averaging 17 plus and 10 in the NCAA tournament against really good teams, all of which who we mentioned have been at one point this season, ranked inside the top 10, you're getting the national spotlight. Look at when Syracuse has played these games. Arizona State, you're the only game on. Yep. Michigan State, you were the only game on for the majority of the time. TCU, you were the only game on for the majority of the time. And the only other part that people might have missed for was to watch that Virginia-UMBC game, which actually I want to talk to you yeah, about that Yeah, we need to talk about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That was really the only time you were out of the spotlight. And I'm getting texts from people like, oh, who's this O'Shea Brissett guy? Like, I haven't heard anything about them. This is your classic Mal candidate right here. I mean, O'Shea Brissett is played, I think he's done enough to play himself into the first round. Yep. The one flaw he's got, and I think this was a good point kind of brought up on Twitter. I, I said the whole thing, like, I've been saying it all year. We've been on the bandwagon. We've been on the bandwagon since about January that this guy's he very well could play his way into the NBA draft this year. And we've been saying that the pretty much for a couple months now. And one guy said, oh, good thing they don't call traveling in the NBA. Because 
O'Shea Brissett takes this hop step, and I don't think he's fully mastered it quite yet. But I don't think he'll have to worry yeah. about that in the NBA. People kind of knock his shooting and say, oh, he, he plays out of control. There's a lot of NBA players that play out yeah. of control. I mean, that can be a good thing at times. Yeah. And th- that kind of can be the thing that propels you. And then with the jump shot thing, I don't think an NBA team's going to pass on you if your jump shot's your biggest problem. Look because- at how many of these guys. I was talking to someone the other day, and we were trying to think of a comparison for O'Shea Brissett in the NBA. We kind of came up with a couple names. It's kind of tough because he's got kind of an athletic build, but also is lanky too. I kind of thought maybe Trevor Ariza of the Rockets. Well, I've been saying the Jimmy Butler yeah. the entire time, and he really reminds me of him. Remember, Jimmy Butler, not that he's some standout jump shooter now, but he was not a, a no. good shooter in college. He wasn't even a good shooter his first couple years as a pro. Kawhi Leonard, not a good shooter. Giannis, not a good shooter. Joel Embiid, not that great of a shooter. DeMarcus no. Cousins. Kawhi, I mean, yeah, Kawhi, You can you learn how to shoot a jump shot. That's just extra hours in the gym that when you don't have to focus on other things like school and classwork and getting all your work done outside, you have no outside distractions, and you can f- spend that time in the gym, I mean— it's not like the he comparative advantage it. is unbelievable, right? Yeah, there. it's not like he shoots at like Lonzo Ball or something, and they've got right. to completely change his mechanics or something. He's got a nice stroke. It's just honing that in, and that's why I think of Trevor Ariza because he kind of was the same way. Once the NBA became more space the floor, stretch bigs, and shooting threes, and that modern brand, he kind of adapted that style, and now he's shooting a tons of threes a game. Really, the whole Rockets team is, but he's the type of guy. If that's your flaw, shooting. That's the best flaw to have right now, I think, because it's not easy to fix your shot or not even fix it, but make it better. But if you put in hours in the gym, it's manageable. You can do it. It's better than just not being athletic or not having a different, not being good in the post or something. There's worse things than just not having a good jump shot. So that's really on his side at this point. I think, too, if I had to guess, he's going. Yeah. I'm not saying he's signing an agent. He's entering his name. Yeah, and testing just think the waters. This game on Friday night, Syracuse and Duke, there's obviously four games each night. They're going to be matched up against Texas Tech, Purdue, basically. That'll start 20 minutes after them. I don't know about you, but I feel like if you're an average college basketball fan, going back to the whole, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him and a lot of spotlight. You're probably going to watch Coach K and Coach Beheim. I mean, not I mean, casual college Syracuse basketball Duke. fan might not even know who the Texas Tech and Purdue head coaches are. So right. why would you? unless it becomes a blowout or something. But if he keeps Syracuse in this game, if he has another good game, or if he has like a Malachi-type play or something that makes it into the one shining moment at the end or just a cool three in the clutch or anything of that nature, I think he's going, and and he has the right to because he's improved his stock a ton. Yeah, like when you look at Purdue, everyone knows like, oh, Isaac Haas isn't playing, so what am I watching in that game? It's, and that's honestly, I mean, Syracuse games are always kind of boring too, and it'll right, probably be, but, but that's going to be a grinded out game too. Grinded that, out game. You got premier players. Everyone wants to see Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, Trayvon Duval, <laughs> um, Gary Trent Jr., and then of course yeah, Grayson Grace Allen. Allen. And people, I think, are kind of intrigued by the Syracuse team now. Yeah, like they've, it's Coach K and Bayheim. I mean, it's it's these one are of the, the brands best, right here. Yeah, one of the best coaching duels that we see each year. You know that. It's hard to find two coaches that play against each other each year that are that that famous and have that much to their name. I guess Coach K and Roy is right up there, but Bayheim and Coach K are in select company when they're going against each other. Huggy Bear and uh, and Bill Self, too. Oh, yeah, with the jackets. <laughs> um, speaking of one shining moment, you brought that up. Um, does the NCAA put Braden Bear's SWAT slash foul in one shining moment? I hope not. It, it was a foul. Maybe, it was such a and, and you can't you can't put in his like jump ball because that's just without context. Like those are the two plays that stick out to me. What he made yesterday. I, like, I don't does, think does Braden Bayer deserve to be in one shining moment? Yes. Yes. But but can the NCAA just pretty much admit that the refs did an absolute choke job on that one play? Yeah, that's not. It, getting it's not in getting there. in. It's not getting. I in. don't know the Vegas odds on it, but I would not. <laughs> I would not bet on that. I mean, maybe if he swishes a three against Duke or something, we'll see him in there. But I, I don't think that block's making it. In. I don't think it deserves to. He deserves to be in, like you said, for his play. But there's not one particular play that you can really put in there right now. All right, you ready for Duke? Let's do it. All right. So here's what you need to know about Duke. 
They're blowing everyone out. Yeah. And they they them it's and Villanova. Like a Duke year. It's, it's looking, looking like a like... Duke Nova Final Four. And whoever wins that matchup is winning it all because the left side of the bracket has been completely and utterly knocked out. No Arizona, no Virginia, and you and I are both we we know we are in the minority here, but we are both upset that UMBC had to pull off the upset of the yes. century. This has nothing to do with our brackets. Our brackets were already torn to shreds after before right. we're that not game. Just those we're guys. not those guys upset about our brackets. This sucks for Tony Bennett. Yeah, and Beheim has said it too. He says that co- Tony Bennett is the best coach in the nation, and what he has done to build that Virginia program up and make it a relevant basketball powerhouse. Year in and year, year out. out. Consistency. There's just the model of consistency across college basketball. Because everyone wants to talk about how this is Bayheim's best coaching job. This is Tony Bennett's best coaching job, yeah. too. And this was a team that started the year unranked. They lost two games in the regular season, and then they lose an absolute heartbreaker. Right. Did they get run out of the gym? Yes. Do you tip your hat to UMBC? Absolutely. It's a cool story, but at the same time, you just feel for those Virginia guys. I and that's mean, what Bayheim said, too. He said... The better you are, the more crushing this tournament is. Yeah. And you like know, those they UMBC lose... guys, did they lose that second round game to Kansas State? Yeah. But were they crushed? I don't think no, so. No, they're still on like a euphoric they're... high, probably. I mean, that coach looked like I can't even remember his name. He'll probably get a big time offer it was, soon. Uh, it wasn't D'Antoni, it was Ryan Odom. Yeah, Ryan Odom. He looked baffled and when UMBC he had a post game interview. To, yeah, UMBC is trying to give him this huge extension now to keep him there. But it sucks. I mean, this tournament is so cruel. Yeah. It can be so cruel so, at times. And to rob Virginia of this opportunity, <laughs> it's rough. So and if where do you stand on the whole, like, I want to see good teams. Like, it's a balancing act between I want to see the best teams make it to the Final Four and see the best product, or I want to see upsets because upsets are cool, and that's why we love March Madness well, and no, Cinderella. I'm not anti-upset. Like, yeah. I think Loyola Chicago is an awesome story. Nevada right. is an awesome story right now. Syracuse is an awesome story right now. Don't tell Tyus Battleworth Cinderella, right. though. <laughs> UMBC, cool story, but... It's just frustrating that it had to happen to a team like Virginia, where you're not even giving them a chance, really. They had to make such a, a run. good season. This, I mean, that is this was the most college, most dominant college basketball team I can remember in my lifetime. I really think. I hope. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And defensively, especially, they should have gone eighteen and zero in the ACC. Yep. And this UMBC team, like. You look at how they they're the mold of their season. Everyone brings up, oh yeah, you lost. 83 to 39 to Albany a couple weeks ago. You win on an improbable buzzer beater to rob another team that was very deserving of getting into the NCAA tournament in Vermont mm-hmm. from getting into this tournament. And then also people forget UMBC pretty much knocked Maryland out of the tournament earlier in the season, right before Big Ten play started, or the unofficial start of the Big Ten play, yeah. when two of Maryland's best guys got hurt against UMBC. So that ended Maryland's season right there. This yeah. has been a very relevant UMBC team throughout the season. Right. I don't really understand. Why was Virginia not playing against a play-in 16 team? Do you understand that part? Because if yeah. you're the number one overall seed, why wouldn't Texas Southern and was Well, here's Bradford? the thing about Texas Southern, too, is the way I saw that game was – I thought if any six, everyone was kind of on that pen wagon. Yep. I thought that, Texas Southern Ivy, Xavier. Yeah, but I thought it was going to be Texas Southern because if you think about that, and Syracuse played them earlier in the year, Texas Southern is a team that has these upper echelon D one guys. It's usually some academic problems or some attitude issues that really prevent them from getting there. But you're coached by Mike Davis, and if you don't know who Mike Davis is, he brought Indiana to a Final Four as a head coach. He succeeded Bobby Knight. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Texas Southern has to be the first ever 16 seed to be coached by a a guy who was the head coach of a Final Four team. Yeah, I would say so. That's got to be correct, right? Like, I can't... No, no way. Usually these... These 16 seeds, these 15 seeds, these 14 seeds, these guys are these are entry-level positions. No names, yeah. And maybe they've been assistants on Final Four teams, 
But well, they were they, saying they Odom, were head coaches. Odom could, didn't even get a job at UNC Charlotte. Like he was trying to get a job there, and they obviously won in Charlotte, so that was the connection there. But these guys are no names completely. Davis is in a different level compared to the other 16 seeds. But I guess the only good thing to come out of this whole thing, and we are in the minority here, but I'm, I'm I get, yeah we full disclaimer. I understand everyone's happy about UMBC, but as a college basketball fan, it's terrible. Yeah, I just I think Tony Bennett, I hope he sticks it to the critics next year and takes them to the Final Four and just squashes this because they're the Spurs right now of the NCAA. They just consistently, I mean, you mentioned it, they weren't even ranked. They were sixth in the preseason ACC standings. They have one of the best ACC regular seasons ever. They roll through the tournament. They do everything right. And I'm so tired of hearing, oh, they're never going to win. They have to change their style Syracuse is winning with a similar type of philosophy. Defense, grind it out yeah. type of games. Plenty of teams have won in the NCAA tournament like that. Virginia doesn't have to change anything. They lost two games this year. They just got a fluke upset, and I think they're going to prove people wrong in the near years. And it's just, I hope it, for Tony Bennett's sake, he does, because he's one of the best coaches in all of college basketball right now. And obviously, he's just got to get that monkey off his back and take his team to a Final Four or a national title And I think it's only a matter of time. And I know right now all of you guys are probably wondering, hey, get back to Syracuse stuff. We'll get back to it. I know that's what you're here for. But, Tim, you and I both need to get this off our chest right now because this is important. And full disclaimer, if any other one seed had lost, like I have Villanova as my champion in my bracket, not that anyone cares, but if Villanova (laughs) had lost in the first round to whatever 16 seed they played, I can't remember who it was, I would not have cared because... Yeah, like yes, this Villanova team is special and talented, and maybe the best passing team I've seen this entire tournament. They've got all the raw talent on that team and, and experience, that perfect blend. Yeah. But I would not have been upset if Villanova had lost. I would not have been upset if Kansas had lost. Virginia just feels a little different. Yeah. And the way that Tony Bennett handled that whole situation after. Can you imagine? What Jim Beheim would do after that game? Gosh, yeah. I don't think he'd talk to anyone. He's a classy guy, that Tony Bennett. He really is. I think, and this isn't a knock on Beheim. I think there are maybe two coaches in the country that would have actually, three, three coaches in the country that would actually do that post-game interview. Tony Bennett, Jay Wright, John Calipari. Yeah, I was, I was going to say maybe Izzo, but... Maybe Izzo, yeah, too. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw Izzo in there. I, there are a few. lot that would not do that. And for Bennett to go out there and lose graciously like that is unbelievable. Yeah. And that is a video that every father should show their kids. That is how you handle losing, and that is how you handle being a good sport. So tip your hat to, to Tony Bennett. And, and there's our Virginia rant for this yeah for this podcast last thing i'll say on that is i'm i'm just happy that we don't have to hear next year like oh this is the year the 16 beats the one it's the year blah 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 i can't wait for next year everyone's going to be picking 16s over ones yeah like, which don't is do not gonna on. happen it's no not, way this may never happen again yeah um okay let's actually get into duke now. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we mentioned okay duke super talented everyone is like okay this is a a blowout game and and maybe it is but you got to think of it this way, too. With, with Duke, that was the worst game Syracuse played all year. They held Duke to 60 points. Yeah. And they couldn't make a they've three. been holding these high-powered offenses that are averaging north of 80 points per game to under 60 points per game. Syrac- neither Duke or Syracuse could make a three in that game. If Syracuse plays a semi-competent offensive game against Duke in that one, that's a four or five-point game. Yeah, on the road, it's going to be closer Cameron. than people think. I think this is going to be a lot closer than people think. Do I think Syracuse is going to win? No, but I think they're going to hang around a lot closer. I think I saw Vegas open this one up at like eleven and a half, twelve points. It's pretty and high. It's very early, but that's super high. Yeah. And I think Syracuse, if they play semi competent offensively, which they they've shown that they can kind of do. And I feel like Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, they're due for big games. Yeah. I mean, that's what Beheim said. He said they need the guards to step up. That's been the most shocking part that, you know, they've hit the clutch shots, but they need a full 40 minutes from each of those guys. They need them to be doing 
him or the two guards plus Brissett to combine for what, 60 points or something? Because they just need everything to click for this Duke game. It's a different animal, right. I'd say. So if you get all those things, it's not that unrealistic to think Tyus Battle and Frank Howard both have 20 point games. We've seen that before. Obviously, Marvin Bagley's going to get his. He's a freak. He got his in Cameron in his first game back, and he's playing really well right now. Wendell Carter's tough to stop, but if you can limit Duke on the perimeter, like we saw at Michigan State, get out on guys like Gary Trent, Trayvon Duval, Grayson Allen, all those guys that can shoot the three, if they're struggling to shoot the three, then it becomes a 55, 60-point game in that range. The defense is the great equalizer for Syracuse, and they hang around, and then maybe a couple plays and a couple bounces go their way down the stretch. That's basically the formula they use to beat Michigan State, and I don't see why they couldn't do it again in theory. Yeah, and with Bagley and Carter, I mean, they're not used to this kind of one-and-done situation. Granted, Duke has steamrolled through URI, steamrolled through who they play, Iona in that first game, too. Yeah. I mean, they've been arguably the most impressive team this tournament. Yeah, I would say slight you. edge to Villanova, but yeah. regardless, they've URI, been unbelievable. URI was also like a bad matchup for them, though. Yeah. The, the classic bad matchup excuse. But... but <laughs> they they um they just didn't have any bigs to contain Bagley and I know Syracuse they they have some length though like they can put some bodies on it compared to URI they're gonna have more and obviously the two three zone makes it so you're not really just matching up one on one with Bagley and you have to have someone who's going to guard strictly Bagley and strictly Carter which I think helps Syracuse a little bit and uh, Syracuse has done well against the bigs like you look at the Michigan State game Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges really don't do anything. And throughout this tournament, they've been pretty good against big guys. And they've there's been an opportunity for the guards to hurt them. This is the game where the guards really can hurt you. Yeah. If you don't get That's out scary thing. On, on these guys and and if they start to really open up the zone and maybe there's harder harder presses on the outside, then you open it up for Bagley. And if that's the case, good night. Yeah. The run ends in the Sweet 16. I think it's funny because I'm sure everyone's going to say the key to Duke in this game is to get Syracuse running, to pick up the tempo, play more of their style, play to their strengths, and make that Syracuse limited bench get a little more tired. But every time that seems to be the theory and what other teams are supposed to do so that the zone can't get matched up or whatever, but it's just easier said than done. So with that in mind, I just think Syracuse, it's going to be a slugfest. It's going to be like what we saw in Cameron Indoor. It's not going to be as big of a blowout, I don't think, but Duke's not going to score at will. Remember, it kind this, of felt like Syracuse was in that game, yeah, too, for a while. Yeah, they just they just couldn't they hit couldn't anything. Finish, yeah. O'Shea was lost. I think he was a little overwhelmed. I think he's got a little more poise under his belt at this point. So, Two for 13. Yeah, that was he was really struggling in that game. Matt Moore actually played pretty good in Duke, from what I remember. He had some. You know, every game I say like, "Hey, this is the Matt Moore yeah. game." You know, I really one think of these this times could, one of these times I'm right. going to be right. Um, yeah. But like this, and I've said I said this before the Duke game too. I said, "Hey, this could be a kind of a Matt Moore game. He's one of those more big physical bodies. He can kind of hang around with those types of guys and." I think that he gives you a little more defensively than a guy like Dolajai because. You throw Dolajai on Wendell Carter, you're not going to win that matchup. Yeah, any times out of ten. No. With Moyer, you might get like two or three. Yeah. <laughs> and not saying not one. saying that's great, but like it's better than it's nothing. better. It's better than nothing. And I know Beheim's been complimentary of Dolajai's defense, but you're going to need Matthew Moyer in this game. You're going to need that big, physical ACC type body. Now you got to tell him you can't shoot the ball. Like, yeah. Gosh, You're, you he's been you struggling. have one job on offense, and it's to you get the ball hot potato. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, because get that, it back to Tyus. That's when Matthew Moyer roommate. kind of goes. When Matthew Moyer goes rogue, you know a turnover's <laughs> on the frontier. <laughs> goes rogue, rogue Matt Moyer is it's one not of the a craziest good combination. Things. Yeah, and you know when it's coming too. It's he gets the ball, and you can already look tell. In his eyes. Look in his eyes. He's on a mission. Yeah. He's going to do something right here, and it's usually not pretty. Yeah. Usually does not result in the ball going through the basket. Usually results in the other team getting the ball. They just need, they another. just need Madison Square Garden, they Matthew need, Moyer yeah, back. MSG Matt. What happened They need old guy. Big East Matt. Because yeah. remember, he played well against Georgetown, too. Yeah, he did. He played well in that game. 
Old guess, Big East Matt Moyer. I guess my philosophy with this game and why I think it's going to be closer in a nutshell basically is you just did the same thing against Michigan State when all the odds and everything was stacked against you just like I thought or just like it makes sense that it would be in this Duke game as well. And when you look at it, Duke and Michigan State, they're pretty similar on paper. I mean, they've got a lot of talent. They've got some front court guys that are going to be NBA guys that scare you. And then they've got some shooters on the wing. Duke plays 2-3 zone on defense. That's probably the biggest difference. But I don't know. I just If you did it against Michigan State, if you can control the, the tempo of the game against Michigan State, make it play to your strengths, why can't you do it against Duke? I mean, the defense has proven... These first three games, it's it's not a fluke anymore. These are three good right. offensive teams that they've shut down. And I think people forget that the first game was in Cameron Indoor. That's a huge advantage. Things just went sideways. If they you get just off beat to Michigan a good State start, in yeah. their backyard. They've got nothing to lose. They're playing with house money. Like that Miles Bridges dunk in the second half, That's what I, I thought, thought the game was over. Was over. Yeah. Everyone thought it was over right there. Oh, my I gosh. I have never yeah. heard a stadium that loud. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it I was mean, unbelievable. it's. It's not like they're going to be playing a road game, essentially. They've got more things in their favor, really, in this game than they did against Michigan State. They've got more rest. I just think this is going to be a close game. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say Syracuse wins this, but I'd say three to four points. It comes down to the final possession, and they're going to put up a fight like they have throughout this tournament and throughout the entire year. I'm I'm in the same boat. I think it's going to be close. And I kind of said this against Michigan State. They're going to play them close for 37 minutes and then probably crumble at the end. They just didn't crumble. Yeah. In fact, I mean, they kind of crumbled. They didn't really deliver. But they Michigan just, State didn't either. Michigan, Michigan State, State crumbled, crumbled harder. Yeah. But wow, they crumbled. <laughs> but with this Duke game, I mean, this team knows how to close teams out. That's and true. They know how to go for the jugular. That's the difference between a, a team like Michigan State and a team like. Duke. We've seen Duke have this unbelievable sustained success. Meanwhile, Michigan State, they can have these really big hiccups at times. Yeah. Like Duke, yeah, they lost to to St. John's. Yeah, they lost to Boston College, but they can close out good teams. They're also especially a, when they see an advantage that they yeah, have. Yeah, they're also a different team the last couple months, maybe the last month in particular, since they've switched to more exclusively that zone. It's not entirely exclusive that they're going to play that zone for all 40 minutes, but they probably will, and that's really improved their defense, which was obviously the thing that was holding them back at the start of the year. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, though. Syracuse is going to be close in this game. Ultimately, they're going to lose by like six or seven points. But then again, I, I've pretty much picked Syracuse to lose every game except yeah. Arizona State. So, Jim, you're welcome. Let's reverse when you, when jinx you, it again. <laughs> when you win this game, I'll send you my address. You can write me a nice little generous check. I don't think that's an NCAA violation. <laughs> but uh, we've been the reverse jinx. I mean, yeah. I, I, that's what this team wants. They just want repeated, repeated underdog stories. Yeah, I mean, if people could start giving us some credit, that's what we've been doing all along. We've been you know, reverse jinxing it you from know, the get-go. They say it's our plan, master they plan. They say it's just as hard to get a zero on the ACT as it is to get a 36. <laughs> so it's almost impressive what we're doing. Yeah, it's just as hard to get no games right in your bracket as it is to get a perfect bracket. Right. We're basically doing that, so they should all be thanking us yeah. out there. Fizz Nation should be sending us gifts. Yeah. We're going to keep the reverse jinx going for you guys. We'll open up the DMs. You can <laughs> You can send them our way. All right, any last thoughts before we wrap this up? We've been going for about an hour yeah, now. Yeah, no. Lots I, of content to I get think, through today. I think we hit on everything. Yeah. It's going to be exciting to watch. I'll, I mean, anything could happen from this point out. They made it this far. They're playing with house money. And regardless, credit to Jim Beheim for the job he's done with this team. I can't say that enough. Yeah, just just to wrap things up, Jim Beheim's doing a hell of a job with this team. O'Shea Brissett's going to the NBA draft, and Gary Battle's awesome. Yeah. Can we agree on those That's everything. We just said it all. We just summarized an hour podcast in 10 seconds. Well done. All right. Syracuse Duke coming up this Friday. Another late game. Yeah. I don't get it. I've seen some members (laughs) in the local media a little upset about that. Yeah. I mean, yes, this one's going to be in central time, but it doesn't matter. These games, I mean, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Chicago. If there's anything I've learned about being out here on the East Coast is that East Coast time sucks. Yeah, it stinks. It's the worst. I'd say Midwest time, Central Midwest time. Midwest and Mountain time. I've never been in a mountain—actually, I take that back. I've been in, in Arizona before. Best but time zone. Mountain time, I think, is would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Like everything starting at 6 o'clock. Football games start at, what, 11, 12? Yeah, yeah 11 like, o'clock because their noon starts. 
yeah. the Midwest. Like Bears games always That's start at noon. Perfect time. Like roll out of bed, but it's not too early to the point where on the West Coast it's nine a.m. Mountain time is is where Mountain it's time's at. Mountain time's that nice happy medium. Mountain time, Midwest time, or Central time. Those are by far the best. East Coast time, uh, we're in for another what nine? I think it's a nine thirty-five start. Yeah. Thirty-seven, yeah. And that'll it'll probably actually start at like nine fifty-five or something. But yeah, the way Clemson, hey. Clemson, Kansas will go. <laughs> I'll wait up to see another victory. We'll see. I mean, yeah, it'll hope be it, worth the wait if it does come. Yep. Hope everyone else stays up in Fizz Nation. Should be a good one, as both you and I think. Syracuse Duke this Friday, a bid for the Elite Eight on the line. Winner takes on the winner of Kansas and Clemson. Be sure to check us out on Twitter. We may be in Omaha for this. We might. Still trying to sort out the details. Jonathan Hoppy needs to get on this real yeah, quick. Yeah, we need to get him out there. I think he's got about 25 minutes to decide, too. Okay, well, it's, we're, we're going to hang this up and, yeah. and go get our boy out there then. Yeah. But, yeah, Jonathan Hoppy may be out there. He may be giving you that live feed from Omaha, which would be awesome. I was there this past weekend. It was a lot of fun. You get to see all these guys, get their thoughts on Syracuse. Um, get but the yeah, national media. The opinion. national media. See, national media Bayheim. National action. media be- Bayheim. Yeah, if you want to see a nice Bayheim, just watch them in these NCAA pressers. <laughs> why, why, why are these too short? It's stupid. <laughs> I, I'll on talk such all day a when I'm <laughs> Um, so yeah. Short. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For Tim Leonard, I'm Tyler Rocky. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, SoundCloud, Facebook, iTunes, Orange Fizz. You'll get this podcast, a bunch of other content. OrangeFizz.net is where you can find us too. We'll have all the latest and greatest there for this improbable tournament run that's continuing. I really thought we'd be on to like spring football and I thought we'd be recapping the season. Like top 10 best moments of the season right now best or moments, something. Getting into the Joe Girard debacle. Yeah, Don't show him the pool, okay? <laughs> All right. That's been fun. This run's been fun and it's still going. Still and I can't going. believe it. All right. Syracuse Duke coming up Friday. Enjoy a Fizz Nation. <laughs>